welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a risk management firm specialising in financial crime. Our aim of these podcasts is to bring you interesting news, interviews and recordings of our exclusive events from the world of financial crime. Modern Slavery and Human Trafficking Understanding the Regulatory Landscape This podcast is brought to you as part of a key industry-wide research project, commissioned by the UK Independent Anti-Slavery Commissioner and in partnership with Tribe Freedom Foundation. It is one of a series that we will be releasing that addresses modern slavery and human trafficking in the financial sector. In this podcast, MD of Themis Community, Viri Chohan, speaks with representatives from Barclays, Bates Group and Red Compass about the current regulatory provision working to tackle modern slavery and human trafficking risk in financial institutions and discuss whether more should be done by regulators. Welcome to this podcast. My name is Viri Chahan and I'm the MD for Themis Community. I'm responsible for developing Themis services and uh, for corporates and individuals and specific financial crime projects. One of the projects I'm involved in is the Modern Slavery Human Trafficking Outreach Programme and Research, which has been commissioned by the UK's Independent Anti-Slavery Commissioner. It's part of many podcasts, and this one focuses on, is there a regulatory gap in the current modern slavery human trafficking framework? With me today, I have guests from the industry in financial services. First of all, I have Sylvia Krupena, who's a senior consultant at Red Compass. Uh, Red Compass are a technology and consulting firm that specialise in payments and financial crime and banking. They're based in London. I also have a team from Barclays. Firstly, I have Graham Hansford, who's the Vice President for Financial Crime, Barclays UK. I also have Kelly Williams, Vice President, Intelligence Development Investigations. And I have Mita Rugani, who's the Legal Counsel for Group Financial Crime. Finally joining us, we have Ed Longridge from New York, and he's a managing director and practice leader for Bates, AML and Financial Crime, the US consulting firm that specializes in regulatory interventions, litigation and support, compliance, AML and financial crime. Welcome to the, this, this podcast. It's a pleasure to have you all on. And uh, from talking to you previously, I know that there's so much experience that I'd like to bring out in this podcast. So I'm going to start with Sylvia. Uh, first of all, can we get to, down to basics, Sylvia? What, what is the main regulation that applies to modern slavery, human trafficking in the UK? Thank you, Vinny. Uh, yes, gladly. <laughs> um, regulatory environment uh, for modern slavery and human trafficking is changing rapidly around the globe in recent years, as we know. And in the UK, uh, the cornerstone of the modern slavery and human trafficking regulated framework uh, is the Modern Slavery Act. And uh, this piece of legislation has been around for about five years. And this regulation, which is addressing both definition and enforcement of modern slavery crimes, was the first of its kind, actually, globally at the time. And with many countries now following the lead and introducing similar legislation. Um, UK's Modern Slavery Act uh, introduced a number of new measures. I'll I'll mention just a couple. Uh, The first one uh, was uh, 
formation of independent uh, Addis Library Commissioner's Office, and it's currently led by Dame Sarah Thornton. And uh, this office has been a quite a phenomenal force in the UK, mobilizing the work, highlighting areas of improvement, calling out shortcomings, and it's all laid out in the strategic plan. And the second thing I'd like to mention is say, section 54, uh, that's on transparency of, of supply chains. And that requires businesses uh, to, to produce an annual statement demonstrating these steps, what they have been taking, uh, that there is no slavery involved uh, in their supply chains. Yes, yeah, so um, you, you mentioned two things. The, the, the first one is the sort of the, the awareness drive by the anti-slavery uh, commissioner, and obviously this program is is one of the one of those drives. And the second thing you mentioned was Section 54 of the Modern Slavery Act, which compels companies of a certain size to to do something. What what is it they actually have to do? Um, this is a focused on all businesses that operate in the UK, not specifically banks, like if, if we speak in, in context of, of, of this podcast. So all businesses who are operating and having turnover are forced at 36 million and more in a year. They have to produce statements and publish that on their website and they have to demonstrate how they assessed uh, with the businesses they work, uh, in their supply chains, their own operations, all the steps what are involved, that there's no slavery involved in, in the uh, goods and services they procure and, and use. Like I think the best example there is supermarket, for example, that their main operation is to, uh, from, from suppliers, obtain goods and then sell to consumers. So for them, that's main business just to, to ensure that from what they have procured, that it's actually uh, slavery free. For banks, that's definitely more mixed picture, as that's not a main uh, main line of operations. I'd say. I understand. So it's about uh, a statement, and then also a verification of their activities that they're managing modern slavery in their in their supply chain in all of, all of their operations. So, in, in your opinion and experience, is it is that legislation fit for purpose? Mm. I would say I would start with positives, perhaps, but I think it's fair to say that this piece of legislation back in the day definitely increased awareness and brought this on the tables in big and small boardrooms to talk about that. But on on other hand, it certainly has faced quite a bit of criticism, um, and especially in terms of enforcement, how effective. Uh, that the tools and instruments and, and controls are there, what actually looks into how businesses are complying. Is the statement produced? What's the quality of the statement? So there is not necessarily that other end what would actually validate the effectiveness of the movements. But as we know recently that there has been a review and so likely uh, in the future there'll be more stringent measures put in place. Sure. And what's the role of anti-money laundering legislation within the, the confines of modern slavery? Is there any relationship there, do you think? Yes, certainly, uh, specifically for banks. Uh, I don't, 
money laundering is not a victimless crime. And money, modern slavery and human trafficking is estimated to be uh, one of the most profitable, fastest growing crimes in the world. And they're generating, by, by recent statistics, about $150 billion a year. And this makes it one of the most significant generators of the criminal proceeds. And very often, it's an underlying predicate crime to money laundering. Um, if we look at the definition of predicate crime, what is it? Um, so it's a type of crime which is like a smaller part, like a component of a bigger crime. In financial context, predicate crime would be anything what generates the monetary proceeds and then ends up in a bigger pot of money laundering. So certainly it falls uh, under this definition, modern slavery human trafficking. And this also indicates that for banks, anti-money laundering is the most relevant area where to look for and where to address modern slavery and human trafficking. Thank you. I mean, you've really explained that very well. So in, in terms of predicate crimes, it's the underlying crime that I suppose facilitates money laundering. So any proceed of a crime would qualify for money laundering in the UK. Is that correct? Uh, yes, UK law um, has adopted all crime approach. So UK law does not, English law for that matter, does not list. So there's 10 or 20 or 50 types of crimes which are accounted for as predicate crimes. So uh, it, it, on one hand, that enables to, it's, it's like all-inclusive, it's not limited, so you don't have to change or amend it every time where there's a new crime on the horizon. However, it also creates a, quite a bit of room of, for interpretation for businesses then who need to address that, implement correct measures and controls to do their research and actually to, to and especially if something new comes up, like modern slavery human traffic, trafficking wasn't really much talked about uh, some few years ago. Sure, okay. So, so from what you're saying that UK's all crimes uh, jurisdiction, but other jurisdictions have specific uh, predicate, predicate crimes named that qualify for money laundering. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, so thank you, Syl Sylvia, for explaining the sort of the, the basics uh, of, of what's in, in place in the UK. If I can turn to uh, Barclays now, and firstly, Graham, um, in your experience, Graham, do you think that the UK modern slavery has had any impact? Thanks, Ray. Yeah, I, I think the, the actors uh, has undoubtedly had a a positive impact certainly in my experience um i think by virtue of the fact that firms are now uh, obligated to produce uh, sort of an annual statement um that really raises the profile of uh, modern slavery and human trafficking across um financial institutions and i think if you break the uh, annual statements down into their uh, sort of relevant parts um i think that the statement achieves a number of things uh, which complements the sort of uh, the act um if you look at the, the, the front to back operating model um, and the sort of obligation on firms to make sure they're uh, operating in a, a fair and ethical way. Um, I think if you look at the uh, the focus that it drives on uh, modern slavery human trafficking in terms of the uh, supply chain, 
uh, and across the supply chain, raising awareness in terms of um, uh, policies and processes, not just in our uh, suppliers, but uh, our own internal policies and processes uh, as well. Um, I think by, by virtue of the Act, um, the uh, external engagement that drives, I think, about Barclays and the uh, the NGOs that we work with, um, uh, people like Stop the Traffic, um, our participation in things like the Liechtenstein Initiative and the, the FAST program and the partnerships that we've adopted with uh, with organizations like Hope for Justice and Salvation Army. You know, there's some, there's some really uh, valuable uh, work streams and pieces of work coming out of that. Um, and then I think also from a, a sort of a, a colleague uh, promotion and awareness perspective, um, the, the sort of actors really focused our minds in terms of the uh, the training we do with colleagues, um, sort of the, the the focused awareness sessions we do with colleagues, uh, and also from a from a colleague perspective, especially our colleagues who uh, sit front line and sort of deal with customers day in day out, the uh, sort of reporting and awareness mechanisms that we've uh, we've had to implement and uh, and make sure are in place. So it seems like what you're doing is really proactive, uh, based from the requirements from the from the act, which is which is really great. In terms of how you have had to respond to regulatory requirements, how are you how are you managing that? So I think in addition to the provision of the group statement that I talked about already, um, if I sort of pick a, a couple of specific areas. So if we if we think about um, sort of colleague uh, training and awareness, um, you know the, we, we've got lots of examples of um, uh, colleague uh, upskilling that we've done. Um, much of that has been done sort of in our branches uh, face to face. Um, I think it's really uh, vital that we've got a really good level of understanding across our frontline colleagues, particularly those in branches and particularly those who will uh, sort of uh, come face to face with customers and sort of uh, are ideally placed to um, uh, sort of monitor things like, uh, you know, the, the various red flags and, and sort of pick up on um, uh, any uh, behaviours or, or suspicions that we should be acting upon. Um, we've we've got a whole uh, programme of uh, e-learning um, that sort of really brings to life uh, uh, modern slavery and human trafficking. Um, it, it helps colleagues understand what we mean by that. It helps colleagues understand our uh, obligations under the Act. It brings to life our, our group statements. It helps colleagues understand uh, uh, red flags and sort of warning signs and things we want them to look for. And it helps colleagues understand the uh, the reporting processes and mechanisms we've put in place as well. Um, and I think the, the other thing I wanted to touch on was um, the the one of the initiatives that I mentioned earlier, the the Lichtenstein Initiative and, and the FAST program. So FAST is Finance Against Slavery and Trafficking, and it's a it's a it's an initiative, um, uh, I guess, coordinated by the uh, the UN University. Um, and it looks, I guess, at the uh, general support to survivors of uh, slavery and trafficking. Um, and the access to, to banking and the access for those individuals to financial institutions. Um, and I think one of the ways we've responded to that is with a, a sort of um, a flexible approach to onboarding and making sure that we've, we've got uh, an onboarding uh, process that allows colleagues to support those individuals um, and to successfully navigate our uh, various requirements in terms of uh, KYC uh, and ID&B. Uh, and all of those sort of day-to-day uh, -day frontline processes, we've had to uh, sort of very much um, make sure that they're uh, they're adopted and uh, and fit for purpose to to support survivors of slavery and trafficking. Well, sounds very comprehensive from what you're saying, and, and that's that's good to hear. Can I, if I can just pick up on one of your points that you mentioned, you mentioned 
sort of training your frontline staff and looking at behaviors. I suppose four modern slavery red flags, would you say they're slightly different than money laundering red flags or are they, are they similar? Because I imagine it's not straightforward. Yeah, it's it, it's not straightforward. I think there are some uh, similarities um, in, in terms of what our frontline colleagues um, might see, um, and obviously, you know, some of this stuff is is quite sensitive, so we can't go into a, an awful lot of detail. But um, I think if you if you look at the what what we sort of ask our colleagues to consider and reflect upon is is when you're uh, sort of dealing with um, with a customer uh, who you um, think uh, could be uh, a survivor of uh, slavery or, or trafficking um, that you know that there are various uh, sort of indicators in terms of um, the interaction with the individual uh, whether the individual is accompanied um, the method uh, of communication the balance of conversation um, you know that there are various things that we ask our colleagues to be to be very mindful of um, and to sort of um, to look to explore with the customer uh, where appropriate um, and where colleagues have uh, any sorts of concerns, the training that we've rolled out uh, sort of helps them to understand what what to do about such things, how to sort of uh, interact with the uh, with the customer, and then more importantly, how to raise those concerns with uh, with teams such as ours who can uh, who can sort of pick that up and and do something with that. Great. And from your experience, and this is to to you you and or, or Kelly. You know what? What would be the the low hanging fruit? Or what would be the easy, quick wins that other organisations can take in developing their modern slavery and human trafficking strategy? I think. Um, I mean, I, I'm happy to start, and then I'll hand up to Kelly. So, I think um, from a, an accessibility and access to banking perspective, I, I think that's really important. Um, and I think advice to uh, other financial institutions would, would be sort of. Um, uh, seek uh, sort of input uh, and support from some of the organisations that I've mentioned, um, Salvation Army, Hope for Justice, Stop the Traffic. There's some uh, fantastic uh, support out there and, and sort of organisations who are, are very sort of willing and able to work with us. Um, I think colleague awareness is a, is a really big thing. Um, you know, our colleagues and our frontline colleagues are, are the best placed people to uh, sort of help us um, uh, spot and deal with some of this stuff. Uh, you know, and then sitting behind that, you've got to have your uh, sort of appropriate levels of CDD, uh, the appropriate levels of financial crime controls, uh, and all of the appropriate uh, reporting mechanisms in place. Um, and then it's looking for, I guess, other opportunities for uh, you know potential interbank working groups, uh, engagement with uh, with with groups like uh, with groups like Jimlet as well. Thanks, Graham. Just to really echo um, most of what Graham has just said, I think in summary there are really four basic components to success in this space, um, namely awareness raising, the implementation of robustity confliction strategies, and stakeholder collaboration, but also the use of technology to enhance detection. So alongside the basic training that Graham mentioned that the bank offers, we also offer, um, run a series of focused awareness campaigns throughout the course, course of the year, uh, which focus on specific threats. Um, this ensures that colleagues are equipped with sufficient information to spot the signs and um, plus understand the importance of capturing and reporting key information in a sensitive, time-sensitive manner. Um, the implementation of deconfliction and collaboration strategies with internal and external stakeholders is, is crucial. I think criminals in this space are, are definitely highly organised. They exploit multiple um, products and services. 
plus they operate across geographical boundaries. It is really therefore important that we do work together to understand connectivity, but also to implement effective strategies to disruption prevent the threat. Um, as as um, Graham alluded to earlier, we do have excellent relationships um, with colleagues operating across this space, specifically within the law enforcement fields, NGOs, charities, but also the wider um, private um, sector itself. We do attend a number of um, public-private sector strategic and operational groups that are solely aimed at tackling this specific threat. And then I suppose lastly, just to elaborate in terms of technology, um, Barclays is focused on continuously investing in products and to enhance our ability to detect the threat. Um, and the bank has also worked with key external stakeholders um, to assist in the development of analytical products um, that will assist the international policing community, but also the wider finance sector. So, you know, from what I'm hearing, you're taking a very comprehensive approach to modern slavery and human trafficking, regardless of whether the the act, modern slavery act, compels you to do that. And uh, compared to say money laundering legislation, which there's a strict requirement for certain um, uh, sort of provisions to be put into place, compliance provisions. So suppose if I could move on and bring it back to sort of the the regulatory focus, whether we do need a regulatory change. From what you're saying, I see that nothing needs to change, but uh, I imagine where Barclays are, are a lot more mature in the journey in implementing modern slavery, human trafficking controls and many other financial uh, uh, organizations. But um, could I just ask to the Barclays team, what's your view about bringing modern slavery, human trafficking into the financial crime framework, or maybe you already do that by the signs of things. Yeah, I, I think it, it's growing again. I think we do do that, um, and I think it's a must for regulated firms. Um, I, I, th I think just echoing your point, very whilst whilst we don't have specific uh, regulatory requirements from the FCA to, to do this, it, it's something that that we in Barclays take very seriously and have realised that it's it's something we must sort of act upon. Um, I think a lot of the things that we've we've discussed already in terms of, um, you know, Kelly just mentioned disruption and prevention. Um, we talked earlier about uh, CDD uh, and sort of uh, onboarding processes and mechanisms, um, our approach to sort of detection and transaction monitoring. Um, I think all of that sort of points to our uh, sort of alignment of our front to back uh, processes uh, in making sure that modern um, slavery human trafficking is absolutely built into our uh, financial crime framework. I think just to kind of echo there that um, Barclays does understand the importance um, of building modern slavery and human trafficking into our own financial crime framework and actually is a key priority for Barclays and we do have an annual strategy um, which is focused around um, um, awareness raising and also proactive identification of the threat. So you're obviously doing it which is fantastic. Um, you know would it be fair to say other firms are doing it or are they not doing it you know, what's what's your what's your position especially firms with say limited resources compared to yourselves and um, I'll, I'll step in here Rick. um so look we can't comment on what other firms may or may not be doing but i think it's really important to emphasize the point that silver made at the outset which is that modern slavery and human trafficking is a significant money laundering risk for banks 
um, issues highlighted. It's a very serious predicate offence that generates significant amounts of proceeds of crime. So I think I think there is an expectation that banks um, should introduce measures in their wider AML programme to, to tackle this threat because it's a predicate offence. And we've talked about you know the, the lack of a specific regulatory requirement. But I would suggest that's not particularly necessary because it is a, a predicate offence and you know such a thing doesn't exist for every predicate offence that we have. Um, and if you look at some of the work that's going on in the UK, that suggests that banks are taking steps, are taking this threat very seriously. For example, um, my colleagues have mentioned the Joint Money Laundering Intelligence Task Force, which is housed within the National Crime Agency. As, as all of you will know, um, this doesn't, you know, membership is not compulsory, um, it's voluntary, but it has, you know, significant membership of, of all the mainstream banks and um, beyond. Um, the, the seriousness of this threat is demonstrated by the fact that there's a specific working group that focuses on modern slavery and human trafficking, operational and strategic. Um, as part of that, banks are given um, access to live cases, intelligence is shared both ways, which is a very rich source of intelligence for banks to take back to inform and enhance their, their own control environment. I think that very proactive piece of work that, that goes on within that public-private um, partnership is, is really vital and illustrative of the fact that despite the fact there isn't a specific regulatory requirement, um, you know, a lot of work is going on to under, both understand and jointly tackle this very, very serious threat. So I think it's, um, I don't think it's right to say that, that banks um, aren't putting measures in place. I think that the fact that there is this large membership of the Gymlet and this proactive work shows that, that banks do take it seriously and are wanting to, to, to put measures in place to, to tackle it. I mean, just taking a step back, I wouldn't think for a second that if the regulator um, discovered that there were any sort of serious breaches or failures in this area, and I'm sure they would take it extremely seriously. Uh, thank you, Mita. I think uh, um, you know, the Gymlet is a really good example of where there's been a successful collaboration between banks and enforcement agencies of sharing information, uh, and that's, that, that, has, that has yielded results and obviously we're all familiar with Operation Forts which was one of the the, the biggest uh, gangs busted in the UK for modern slavery. Um, if I can move to Ed in, in New York, your, your firm has worked with many in the AML and financial crime space. Where is modern slavery and human trafficking on their agenda and priorities? So I think um I think definitely in the United States, it has been for a while, right, that within financial institutions, and that's the whole range of financial institutions here, um, modern slavery and human trafficking has been at the, you know, very much, uh, you know, held within and at the forefront of, of uh, control measures within AML and financial crimes programs here. Um, and largely that's been driven not just from the importance of doing the right thing within a financial institution, which of course, as AML officers, we, we absolutely have this on our minds uh, and want to prevent it from happening, but also from a regulatory perspective, right? US regulators 
uh, for a number of years have really required financial institutions, be it banks, broker dealers, money service businesses, MSBs, right, to to enforce uh, human trafficking uh, requirements within their programs, right? And you know, uh, and I think it's it's widespread. I think you know, you talk to any AM, senior AML officer, mid-level AML officer. Uh, within a U.S. bank or broker dealer or an MSB, for example, uh, it, it, it's very much on their minds. So one one of the uh, most notable cases in recent years related to human trafficking, of course, is, is Western Union. Um, the NYDFS, which is the New York uh, Department of Financial Services, which is our state regulator here um, in New York, um, Brought a case against Western Union in 2018, which resulted in a fine of $60 million. Um, and it was directly linked to their AML program and the failure to, uh, to identify transactions that were going through Western Union through the transaction monitoring program in AML um, that were related to, to, uh, to human trafficking. Some of those tra transactions were related to human trafficking cases, right? So. And what they were doing is that there was this failure to identify structuring patterns through transaction monitoring. And then on the back of that, uh, again, a failure to file SARS on that activity, of course, right? So, and some of those, some of that activity had been related to um, human trafficking vis-a-vis um, -vis, uh, wire funds being, being sent to China. Now, I think that's a, a particularly good case. Now, the NYDFS, uh, fine was $60 million, but you got to remember that, um, you know, a couple of years earlier, uh, Western Union was fined $586 million uh, with issues related to their AML program. So, you know, there's a combined overall that, you know, that's a significant case, uh, one of the very large ones in the United States that, that's related to, to, to human trafficking. And I think that, you know, um, it gives you an idea of the importance that U.S. regulators uh, uh, have with regards to human trafficking, um, and and that they really expect financial institutions um, to have this as part of their AML financial crimes programs, right? Um, so again, other you know to give you an idea of how long it's been going on in the U.S. in terms of how the regulators are being involved. FinCEN came out in 2014, so six years ago now, with guidance for human smuggling and human trafficking. So that obviously gives you an idea very much of, of that this isn't a new thing here. It's been going on for a while with our, with our banking regulators, our, our financial regulators, that the importance that they have here. Well, thank you, uh, Ed, on that Western Union example. Obviously, there's the Westpac uh, case in Australia going on at the moment, which is another yeah. significant potential fine of uh, 1.5 billion US, uh, sorry, Australian dollars, which is going through the courts at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose what's what's significant about this is that uh, in different countries, that regulatory intervention does sort of sharpen the minds and ears of boards and companies. Um, but, you know, from your personal experience, do, do you have any poignant examples or moments that you've encountered that have sort of changed the landscape for you? Yeah, so um, 
Yes, is the answer I do. Actually, when I was in my in a former role, I was the head of AML of an AML program of a broker dealer here in the states. Um, I went to a conference, I think, in spring 2015, so a few years ago now already. Um, and the lead speaker, you know, the the guest note speaker, so to speak, um, of that of that conference was. Uh, a lady who had been personally trafficked from Eastern Europe to to Canada, um, and you know, usually when you're arriving at a conference and it's your first coffee of the morning, and, and you know, we I know we've all sort of attended those conferences, and you're wondering what the, what lies ahead of the day. Um, this lady stood up at nine o'clock in the morning, and the first words was, "My name is X, and I'm a victim of human trafficking." and I'm going to tell you what happened, and this is how you can help. And I think that was, you know, I think every single person, when I mean, we're talking four or five hundred people in the hall at that time, just sort of uh, put down their coffees and just sat there agog for the next hour and a half as she spoke. And it really drove it home. But one of the key messages that she mentioned was AML officers, because we are able to see the activity that human traffickers uh um carry out through their banking transactions for example that we can see that activity go through our firms through transaction monitoring that in her mind the aml officers for example were very much the police force we're the ones that were out there really at the front lines trying to detect this activity and report it now obviously Sadly, we only, particularly in the United States, and I imagine in the UK and Europe too, we probably only see a very small piece and ultimately are successful in a small piece uh, of bringing down these rings, but hopefully over time that will improve. Uh, but that was a very poignant moment um, uh, that I personally experienced in, um, with in this field, so. Thank you, I think, I think it's very powerful, impactful. On, on two levels. One is the, the the victim level, but the other other level is you know that you know banks or AML officers are having to become the policemen for a range of crimes that uh, lead to money laundering. I think it brings us to a, a nice close to this podcast. And um, uh, uh, before before we finish, a final word from the the rest of the panel will be really useful. So. Um, if I can turn to Sylvia first, any thoughts to leave, leave us with? Yes, probably I would add from practical experience in our day-to-day -day work, not inside from bank, perhaps from outside a bank, uh, while developing our Red Club Accelerator and also while discussing uh, this issue with our banking clients, our research shows that uh, many banks are actively exploring and ad adapting modern slavery and human trafficking capability, given that they have a really good starting point in our policies uh, and platforms and engines, what we had earlier today. What I see probably is missing from, from legal, legal frameworks in place is not necessarily a new regulation, because as we know, UK banks are already overly regulated with more than 10 uh, regulatory pieces just for financial crime. So very helpful, I think, would be more clarity, clear instructions from regulator, what exactly needs to be addressed. 
So for those who probably are not as advanced in, in, in their journey, could really help to, to navigate, as also giving all the credit for all amazing work that has been happening and many initiatives that have been taking place outside the regulated sector. Thank you very much. And from uh, Barclays, uh, could I have final words from you, please? No, just just a, a huge thanks for the invite. Um, I, I I think you know it's it's been great to hear about all of the uh, the good work that's going on. Uh, it, it's evident that there's uh, there's still an awful lot to do. Um, I've just really enjoyed the discussion and hearing from uh, colleagues and partners um, who are sort of working to address uh, slavery and trafficking. And from uh, you, Kelly. Yeah, I think from my point of view, um, having experience on both the law enforcement and the, the private sector side of things, I would really stress that the only way to really effectively tackle the threat is to do so um, using the public-private sector partnership, seek an opportunity to collaborate and implement effective disruption and prevention strategies. That's really useful. Thank you. And and finally, from, from you, Mita. Um, well, thanks, thanks so much for inviting us to this, just echoing the comments made by Graham and Kelly, really, and um, also putting on, you know, my, my former hat and my current hat. There's a lot um, to learn in this space. It's a, a very fast-moving threat, and there's a lot to learn for, for both law enforcement and financial institutions. But I think there is a lot of good progress being made in the UK. And actually just taking a step back from law and regulation, just for a second, if I may, I think from, from a bank's perspective, tackling this threat um, is, is not just about complying with law and regulation, it's also the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, look forward to seeing, you know, further developments in this area. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I think we'll bring it to a close there. I'd like to thank our guests, Ed Longridge, Sylvia Krapana, Mita Rugani, Kelly Williams, and Graham Hansford. Um, you can, all find out more on uh, our website for the Modern Slavery Human Trafficking Research and Outreach Programme. Thank you for listening and look forward to the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and I hope this has been a useful podcast for you. As a public-private research project, we are developing an industry-wide response to modern slavery and human trafficking and are keen to speak to as many financial institutions as possible so we can understand current and best practices. Whether you work for a bank or building society, an investment manager, an insurance house, an accountancy firm, a money service or payments business, a crypto exchange, or any financial institution, we want to hear from you. If you would like to participate or sponsor this research, please get in touch. We would love to talk to you and your team about what you are currently doing to either detect or prevent any links to modern slavery and human trafficking. You can reach me on viri.chohan at themisservices.co.uk or find out more via our Themis website on the homepage where there is a tab for modern slavery and human trafficking. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. We hope you found it interesting and informative. If you would like to find out more about Themis, get in touch with us via our website www.crime.financial. You can also subscribe for future news and interviews.